0: Watch out, ye listeners! Beware, there be spoilers ahead.
1: Hello and welcome to the After Credibles, the movie discussion podcast where the least credible people you know discuss everything in the world of cinema. My name's Charlie Rogers and today on the show I'm accompanied by Zach Darrick and Andrew Medanzic. Thanks for dropping by. Hey dawg. No worries, good to be back. We've had a few weeks of discussion but today we are going back to reviewing, including what I'm sure will be a thorough dissection of this week's film, Bad Times at the El Royale. But first, let's do some news. I'm excited for this because... Big news has hit the screens over the last 24 hours, so this is probably going to be the first ever breaking news that we've had on the podcast, and that is that Ridley Scott has returned to the table with Gladiator 2. He's come back to the table and he's ready to direct. I am such a huge fan of Gladiator. It's one of the only films that consistently pretty much makes me cry. It's one of my shame cry movies, and I'm really excited to see a sequel to it.
2: Yeah, well, impossible not to feel for good old Maximus, Decimus, Meridius. But, yeah, in terms of movie news, thats I swear that's the only stuff I've seen as well. It's just like, sequel, 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 sequel of all these different movies.
1: Especially in Ridley, Scotland. He's, he's been doing a couple sequels to some very, very old intellectual properties that he, he started years and years ago, even decades ago in some cases. But I'm excited for this one. Apparently, Maximus might not be in it. I don't think we know if Russell Crowe's going to be in it. I think the... Word around the campfire is that it is going to be about Lucius, which was the nephew of the Emperor. And I think it's going to be maybe 20 years in the future and he's dealing with his own kind of family-related vengeance. I think, I think that is the general thought at the moment, but I guess we're just going to have to wait or, or, or hear about what happens uh, as time goes on.
2: Yeah, well, did he end the movie as the Emperor? Because, you know, his uncle died.
1: That's actually a really good question. Yeah, because his uncle died. And Maximus would have been the emperor otherwise because he would have been able to complete his coup, but then he died. So, oh, spoiler alert, everyone, if you haven't seen a movie from 18 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. It's a fair fair spoiler warning. Yeah, that'd be an interesting one. I guess one. That's,
2: that's why we need a sequel. We need to answer these two decade old questions about who took over the Roman Empire.
1: I know, I know. And for a movie that was so well wrapped up, uh, as a standalone film it'll be interesting to see how it goes but but I have to say I'm excited I love the first one even without Russell Crowe I'm sure they'll f- they'll force him in there somewhere in some kind of flashback or something but yeah I'm really excited did you guys know that they tried to do a sequel about 10 years ago no and they got of all people Russell Crowe got Nick Cave actually wrote a script
2: is that the one where he's like, uh, like he's being a gladiator in the afterlife and he's battling all these creatures and things or is that a different one I,
1: I, th- I think it, I think it had some elements of that. So like, Nick Cave is a musician, <laughs> and that somehow along the way, Crow actually asked him. I think it was Russell Crowe that specifically asked him to write it, and it was something like he was being reincarnated through all these different war-like time periods. And apparently, it was supposed to end up with him as a general in the Pentagon. I don't know how. I don't know what kind of ending that was going to be, but that's um. Apparently, it got instantly shelved and was never going to ever see the light wait, of day. Wait, so wait. we've only got we've only got people. So it was meant wh- to be like time
2: travel at the end.
1: Well, like a reincarnation thing. The gods kept reincarnating him to uh, uh, look. I've I've just I've I've got a quote here actually from Nick Cave. Ooh, so so I did a little bit of reading around to see what the general thing a bit was. Of and okay, well,
0: I tell you what, I tell you while you have a uh, while you while uh, you quickly try to find it. I just want to say right if this film if Gladiator 2 is shit I will have my vengeance in this life
1: or
2: the next <laughs> Bravo Bravo uh, because
0: I fucking love I fucking love uh, Gladiator this, uh, thank you thank you it's one of my favourite movies and that is why I'm, I was so terrified when I saw that announcement because mm. I, like, I was like no Ridley don't do this you're gonna you're gonna fuck it up this doesn't need a sequel it's a great film you know it doesn't need some shitty money grabbing uh, poor attempt of oh let's get that thing that everyone loves and let's try to make some more money out of it because uh, you know it's not, it's not like the story has got any clear questions to answer or any clear directions that it needs to travel you know it's like that was a perfect little yeah. bubble do you- uh, and I think he's just gonna fucking pop it I mean I mean, okay, in the last in the last twenty years, all right, give me more than I mean, how many films has really Scott made in the last twenty years? It's gotta be it's gotta be it's gotta be like oh, let's say twenty. Yeah, it's gotta be it's gotta be close to twenty. Uh and give me give me give me give me more than two good films he's done in the last twenty years. Of well, the Martian.
1: Well I Yeah yeah, I'll accept yeah, the Martian. I mean, I liked Prometheus. I'm one of the few people that like Prometheus. I'm in the same boat. I like Prometheus as well. And by extension I even enjoyed the 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 alien like I the latest one
2: covenant yeah i liked covenant as well it
1: wasn't as good for the same reasons as alien and aliens were good but i liked the extension of a lot of the um a lot of the like philosophical and interesting premises that were brought up by prometheus so i liked both of those movies but yeah, yeah I, I, I was going to
2: ask would you guys actually Trust Ridley Scott with doing a sequel of Gladiator uh, after this much time and giving his no, recent track no, record? No, no, so no. So you're, no. you're firmly on the no side.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like The Martian and I thought Body Blinds was good. I think everything else he's done in the last 20 years has been trash.
1: The, 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 but, but the thing is, he was making trash movies around Gladiator as well. He's, he's one of these directors that is able to make an absolute standout classic movie alongside bad movies. That's just the kind of person that he is because he's always flying around these different genres and these different concepts so, so freely that you just never know whether it's going to be gold or garbage. So, I, I you know I'm convinced that... I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be waiting. I'm going to be excited. I will watch it. And I'm hoping it'll be good.
2: If you could pick another director to tackle the sequel, who would it be?
0: Well, I, I, I disagree with the premise of the question because I don't think that movie needs a sequel. Sure, sure, if you want to make a film about a uh, troubled Roman emperor um, who needs to rely on a gladiator or something like that, I mean, there's, there's no reason it needs to try to piggyback on the greatness of the first film. You know, just make another film. Like, something that's lacking in Hollywood right now, originality. And actually, that's that's one of the reasons I liked Bad Times the El Royale. It came out of nowhere. It doesn't have to go anywhere else afterwards. It was just a good little film. It's not like it's not like oh yes, it was one in twenty movie arc that actually I'm going to be writing now because it was it made, buddy.
1: All right, all right. Jeez, well, sounds like you've got. It sounds like you really uh, missed out on the reboots one we did last week, Zach, <laughs> because you have a lot to say about the sequels and, and the reboots. I'm I'm, I'm just
0: going to go out and record. I'm going to say. It's going to be shit. Gladiator two is going to be <sighs> shit. Um I oh, I hope that's I, so negative. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> I hope I'm so wrong and I hope he proves me wrong. I would like nothing more than Ridley to prove me wrong. But um I think that's the way it's gonna be. And
2: uh, you know What did you think about Blade Runner twenty forty nine? I fucking loved it, but he didn't direct it.
1: Oh, good point.
2: He didn't, but it's still that's true that's why i thought about the whole Mm. what if it was a different director yeah yeah um okay if you don't think you don't think a sequel works in any way no no i mean I mean, i mean i think it's totally
0: different i think blade runner definitely finished with a lot of questions to answer you know um and so that naturally left left a a conduit for a sequel but i mean gladiator at the ending there was no, there was no questions that needed
2: to be answered, except for who is the emperor now.
0: Well, I mean, I mean, you know, in in, in true in true um, Roman imperial fashion, just because this twelve year old is the son of the emperor. That doesn't mean that he's guaranteed to be the next emperor. Nephew,
1: nephew. So he's, nephew. yeah, so Is he's probably nephew? even less guaranteed.
0: That's right. Yeah.
1: Oh, Well, I guess we'll find out.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring the negativity, but uh, that 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 news cut me to the core.
1: Ouch. <laughs> let me let me try and let me try and alleviate your pain by letting you sit, listen to just how bad the other gladiator two would have been if they had have made the sequel in 2006. Nick Cave said, Crow rang me up and asked if I wanted to write Gladiator 2. For someone who had only ever written one film script, it was quite an ask. Hey Russell, didn't you die in Gladiator? (laughs) To which Russell replied... Yeah you sort that out So, <laughs> so this is his like summary of what he wrote So he goes down to purgatory And is sent down by the gods Who are dying in heaven Because there is this one god There's this Christ character Down on earth who is gaining popularity And so many of the old gods are dying Presumably this is just an aside Presumably because no one believes in them anymore uh, So they send Gladiator back to kill Christ And his followers
0: I feel like that's I feel like I feel like as ridiculous as that sounds That's going to be a better movie premise than
2: uh, what the sequel's going to be. Man, I, w- I would love to see that film. Oh.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, uh,
0: yeah. I would actually... Yeah, I, I, would, I would actually, uh, I would actually yeah. kind of
1: enjoy that. Oh, Jesus. He said he enjoyed writing it simply because he knew from the start that it would absolutely never be used, which I think is a... It must, be, it must have been a liberating feeling.
0: And then, you know, if, if that character then keeps coming back in time as different people, you know, Assassin's Creed style, you know, yeah, maybe.
1: Yeah, and they must have been quelling... Religious uprisings from different religions That were uh, yeah, I did, Wow yeah. In- interesting, way to, interesting way to bring it about uh, Okay Another piece of news guys This one is not specifically movie related But I thought it would be interesting to discuss nonetheless A writer from Rick and Morty Has been employed To spearhead the new animated Star Trek cartoon series Which <laughs> Which I think is really strange because if it's a Rick and Morty writer, it is going to be a fucking strange Star Trek. Could
2: be. Unless they focus more on the sci-fi side, that like the Rick and Morty writer. But I mean, it's it's good for for a franchise that's been going on for you know over five decades. I think it's a good idea to try and keep it fresh and have these different takes on it.
1: Yeah, like, and I think it, I think it is a series that having seen a. I've seen a fair bit of Star Trek, but I think having seen a lot of it, I would say that it's um it's good that they're they're starting to branch out into this expanded universe thing because I mean Star Trek has always been that for fifty years it's just been this great expanded but also disconnected series of shows that are all part of the same universe. So yeah, hey, I'm down for anything, especially if it's from something edgy and weird that's supposed to be a comedy. See, I think this new Star Trek cartoon series is supposed to be humor oriented, which um. It's going to be a very weird departure. Get the young kids to become Trekkies. What do you reckon, Zach? I know you. I know you like your Star Trek.
2: I, well, I'm,
0: I wouldn't. I wouldn't classify myself as a Trekkie, but I do enjoy Star Trek. Um, and you know what? I think, I think that's okay. I think that that it's probably okay. I mean, I I enjoyed the um, the latest Star Trek series. I enjoyed that, and it was it was quite dark. Um, uh, but I, you know, I enjoyed it, of course. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think a cartoon thing might be fine. I mean, I had I had a big. Um, like personal crisis. Okay, that's that's probably putting it too far. Uh, when, when, you know, when the when the Clone Wars cartoon series came out, oh. um, at first I was like, I was like, fuck this. I was like, you know. Um, Star Wars to to a whole group of people, including myself, is like you know uh, it, it it definitely happened. It definitely happened. You know this is like uh, total suspension of disbelief. Uh, it's you know in a faraway galaxy. Uh, it, it, this shit definitely happened. And then just to like you know to to make like a kitschy cartoon series, about I was like I was like oh that's just destroying the whole legacy that the whole thing's plausible. But then I was like you know it took me a while to come around to the idea that well don't be ridiculous. Uh, you know uh, if if, if it makes you know, if it makes this world more accessible to kids, because let's face it, you know, the movies might not be, um, then yeah, why don't you go for it? Yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, we had the they had a Star Trek animated series in the '70s, so it's you know, it's not without precedent in the Star Trek universe. Um, yeah, and you know what, the cartoon series in the '70s was pretty, pretty funny, pretty fun. Like I enjoyed watching some of that. So.
0: Oh, oh wait, hang on, hang about, hang on. Before we move on, um, something that I came across last night on a similar vein. Um, I was just flicking through my Netflix last night and I came across this crazy shit. I, was, I saw it and I was like, what, what the fuck is that? Uh, Batman Ninja. Oh.
1: Well,
2: He's he a ninja, isn't he?
0: Well, yeah, but wait, no, wait for it. Right? It's, so it's, it's, a, it's an anime series.
1: Yeah, isn't it of, in an anime style?
0: Yeah, of Batman. And wait for it. Let me read you the description. Ready for it? When a malfunctioning Quake engine transports them all back in time, Batman must
1: face his foes in feudal Japan. Oh, so they're transporting all of the characters, good it's, and bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Joker, wow.
0: Batman, everyone, everyone's getting transported back to feudal Japan to fight it out in an anime series, and at first I was like, what the fuck is this outrageous <laughs> shit? And then I watched the trailer, and I was like, you know what, actually, that looks better than anything DC's made since
1: Nolan. <laughs> so, you're going to give it a go? Or did you watch it? Yeah, fuck oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. No, I just watched, yeah, I, I,
0: haven't got into it yet. I'm. I'm. Don't judge Was me. Was that
2: also by a Rick and Morty writer?
0: <laughs> I don't think so. But but I could. I, I imagine it could only be improved by having a Rick and Morty writer there. Oh
1: yeah. It, so so is it a is it a series or a movie? No, a TV series. Oh wow. They could flesh. You, there's so much you could flesh out by doing that with any franchise. Like imagine transporting all the wacky characters from anywhere into. <laughs> yeah back in time 120 years yeah
0: and apparently they got like all the best anime creators in japan to make the thing and it it looks pretty amazing
1: well if you're going to do it don't half-ass it i respect that that sounds like it will be quite interesting but yeah i didn't i didn't i didn't actually start watching it because i'm
0: still finishing off um the haunting on hill house oh yeah
2: so what did what did you say it was called batman ninja
0: batman ninja
1: original title Mm. (laughs) Just say, say say what it is. Title. Don't, <laughs> yeah. don't beat around the bush. Like,
2: yeah. Batman in Japan.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's on your Netflix Australia right now. Hit it up. Tell me if it's any good. All right. Sounds awesome. All right. So, a new piece of news, very small, but might come as a welcome surprise to some of us. Uh, Star Wars Chief Kathleen Kennedy has confirmed to the world that the Boba Fett movie is, and I quote, 100% dead. Aww. It's gone. This it, They're really taking some Backward steps on their Expanded universe ambitions I think After After The Last Jedi I, th-
2: I thought you were about to say That she was Confirming that she was Stepping down or something <laughs>
1: No 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 um, it, it, This one's a This one's a little one This one's just a, a little one About how I think that never came out Of production hell after Solo I suppose So Boba Fett movie's gone Yeah and I, I think- don't I don't feel like it I don't feel like it was a movie That needed to be made So for me I was like eh, You know whatever Good.
2: Yeah, but I I remember we talked about it on the uh I think it was the Solo podcast or one of them and I think it would have been would have been better than a lot of the other ideas that they have for their own
1: spin-off movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess. Yeah, I,
0: I, I feel, I feel like I still would have enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I, like Boba Fett's one of my favorite characters, even though he always plays a small peripheral role. I think he's just an awesome badass character. But I'm kind of happy that they decided not to do that before they made the film. I think they, I think they, uh, they saw the pitfalls. Unlike Marvel. Um, you know, Marvel made you know the Iron Fist series, and then was like, "Oh, it was going to be shit always." And, <laughs> and same with like, same with like Luke Cage and all that shit. Like, yeah, they went down
1: the road of making it, and then realizing it was probably going to be shit. Whereas I think Disney sort of uh, was ahead of the game. It's good, it's good. You know, less is better. There are too many good movies coming out now for me to waste my time on a movie that's going to be bad just because it's part of the Star Wars universe. So, you know, yeah,
2: I think most of the Star Wars fan base would actually also be Maybe a little relieved to hear that they're going to cut back on the movie
1: releases. Mm, Definitely. All right, another one, and this is another movie announcement: Bad Boys Three is finally go. According to an Instagram announcement by Martin Lawrence. Yeah, so Bad Boys is coming back. It's been way too long.
2: See, more sequels. Sequel, sequel, sequel.
1: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But, like, you know, some of these are long-awaited, and, you know, it's taken a while to get the stars, their schedules, and their wants to align, and, you know, they're they're keen to do it. Good on them. I mean, I don't know what Martin Lawrence has been doing for the last 15 years, but... Cash
2: grab, cash grab,
1: cash grab. Ah, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, like, it's... (laughs) It's a Michael Bay film with all these huge stars. I reckon everything Michael Bay does is basically a cash sink, if not a cash grab. It's just this like sink where shitloads of money goes in and a really weird, stupid, over the top movie comes out. But you know, I'm cool with you know that's the, that's what that's what they are. I love I like Bad Boys for that good over the top stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I'm excited by that because unlike Gladiator, you know, which is like sacrosanct, Bad Boys are just like you know, fun with like one liners, explosions, and you know, fucking chuck a third one in there. Uh, whatever. Uh, I'm excited for it. Just uh, with relation to the plot, it gets, it's got me thinking what they're gonna do. <laughs> what they're gonna do.
1: Very good. Yeah. Look, hey, I'm I'm cool with it. You know, um, I, I love like the the buddy cop genre. will keep going till civilization ends, and more sequels always, as far as I'm concerned. Bring out Lethal Weapon Five. Bring out I don't know what else is there. <laughs> the other guys too. Bring out every <laughs> other shitty buddy cop movie that comes out. Rush I want hour. more. Yes. Rush Hour Four god damn give me, give me that stuff oh my god you know
0: what I'd like you know what I'd like them to do for Bad Boys 3 is you know um, like 1 and 2 are basically more or less the same style uh, and that was fine but like man like, why not just mix it up a bit I would love to see Bad Boys 3 being like a Sin City style
2: oh okay yeah alright bit of an artistic approach totally totally go like just,
0: just yeah just like try it.
2: yeah just totally
0: different approach bring in a third third person as well
1: yeah something yeah um, do, you, do you think Michael Bay has the ability to to, to take that kind of a shift? <laughs> Abs- absolutely not, absolutely not. I mean, the shift in the islands from, like, interesting mystery to over-the-top action was bad enough to give me whiplash, so I know he's definitely capable of doing the ridiculous <laughs> jump in um, style. So, hey, <laughs> who knows?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I... I- uh, you know I, I'm sad that The Island was a Michael Bay film because I fucking loved it and but that oh, I feel, I, I feel I agree. like I feel like he was taking advantage of me because like that sort of dystopian sci-fi is that's my oh, it's my favorite like like i know oh yep i'm totally with you someone someone has to do such a bad job of a dystopian sci-fi before i'm like it's not perfect
1: well yeah like i i didn't even know it was a michael bay film from the first half i think it was just on tv when i was a teenager and i was like oh this is so cool they're all wearing white they're all in some weird like utopian paradise and there's the island blah blah how interesting is this and then i was like why are they jumping from hover motorcycles at full speed and like blowing stuff up and falling off buildings and somehow not dying when they fall off the buildings i was (laughs) yeah and then i and then i kind of did a bit of Research went. Oh no that's why there we go there's the answer he couldn't
2: keep his couldn't keep his true self down for the whole movie <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah yeah but he
2: started I, foaming at the mouth halfway through and he's like give me something stronger." <laughs> yeah he,
1: he lasted half a movie and i commend that yeah yeah um, but i did love the i did love the he's the clone no he's the clone at the end that's one of my favorite tropes so yeah for the movie to end in a good little yeah he's the clone twist
2: oh and then he slaps the bracelet on
1: him yeah, and yeah, 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 does yeah, a fake yeah. accent. I think. I think he pulls off a fake Scottish accent uh, that he that he that he mimicked from the real guy. So yeah. Again, spoilers, everyone. If you if you think The Island is a movie you're going to want to watch, rewind the last five minutes and forget everything you just heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: all
1: right. Uh, look, that's all the news I got. You got anything, uh, anybody?
2: No. Nope. Movie exactly, but i I did see something in the entertainment industry uh, just yesterday that took me by surprise um, It was that the the Red Dead Redemption Two video game came out um, and i 've never played that, but they said that it has the biggest uh, oh not box office but it 's taken in the most money of any entertainment medium in the first three days like ever oh
1: wow
2: which surprised me so it's not in the first three days it it made over a billion australian dollars wow so um,
1: that's incredible
2: just like and that and that took me by surprise because they had this like comparison list of like uh like books like the harry potter series books and like all these movies the top grossing movies on opening weekend but this game that came out last week just trumped it all so took me by surprise
1: that's a very cool comparison that you brought to the fore, Andy. That's really interesting. I could be wrong this one, but I don't think
0: it was the I don't think it was the highest grossing um, in three days ever. I think Grand Theft Auto V, which was made by the same guys, was the highest grossing in three days ever. But it came out on a Tuesday, so I think Red Dead Two is the highest grossing weekend.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, okay. All right. But interesting. Still for the- yeah.
0: I mean, a small, small point, but yeah, Uh, great job, Rockstar. I think they make great games, and they deserve it. I mean, they've been working on
1: it for like fucking eight years or whatever.
2: Yeah, and for the same company to have the two, like top two record at least,
1: amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, actually, one thing I do want us to do in the future is to address video games and the way they are tr- it may be transforming the landscape of, of narrative experiences because you know are video games are new movies i mean red dead redemption the original one i considered and i've said this a few times in the last few weeks to anyone that will listen to me which is not many people but <laughs> i have said that i found red dead redemption like a transformative experience like as a narrative it was like profoundly powerful And I reckon the gameplay Does play into that a bit uh, the, the gameplay experience And um, yeah I mean like I, Yeah it was It was really something So I won't And I won't be playing Red Dead Redemption 2 Straight away Because I don't have Her console But I'm very excited to, to, to revisit that Kind of experience again Well but By all accounts This one's Even better
2: uh, I've, I've never played Either of them But oof Makes me tempted
1: Might be a conversation For another day But that is some Really cool news It's interesting Alright Thanks for helping me, both of you, to power through this news today. Alright, let's go check ourselves in as we get ready to review Bad Times at the El Royale. The El Royale is a bi-state establishment. You have the option to choose a room in either California or Nevada.
2: How'd you end up at the El Royale?
1: There is carltons book. This place used to be hustling and bustling. Old Dean Martin even sang a song about it once. This is not a place for a priest, Father. You shouldn't be
2: here. We might need to work on your sales pitch, son. (laughs) The El Royale. No place for a priest.
1: Would you mind opening up the door? No, I ain't gonna do that. We have to get as far away from him as possible.
2: Howdy. I'm not really a priest. Yeah. No shit.
1: In 1959, a man checks into a room in the El Royale Hotel and hides a bag under the floorboards of his hotel room, before being shot and killed when he opens the door to someone he thought was a friend. Fifteen years later, and a now barely occupied El Royale is visited by several suspicious characters, including a vacuum cleaner salesman, a struggling soul singer, a priest and an unsociable hippie. Checked in by the sole employee of the aging hotel, everyone gets to work on what they came to the El Royale to do. As the night unfolds, the mysteries surrounding all these characters begin to unravel as the worlds collide. Who will survive? Who will suffer? How far-reaching will the consequence of tonight be once the dust settles? That's my summary for Bad Times at the El Royale. And one thing you will have noticed is that I kept this synopsis deliberately vague compared to our other reviews, and there's a reason for that. When I watch a movie that I enjoy, I like to say that it was a good movie. But every now and then I watch something that even though I'm not sure the movie's perfect or great, I still have a phenomenal experience watching it. And I watch Bad Times at the El having no idea what it was about. Zach, you've mentioned the trailers of the movie a bit on the podcast before, but I never actually watched them. So when I came into Bad Times, I was coming in blind and cold. And what I experienced in my eerily empty cinema lounge um, was fantastic. Knowing as little as I did made this movie such a phenomenal experience in tension and mystery. I had an excellent time. So essentially, I mean, guys, I reckon this movie was a hell of an experience for me, but I'd be interested to know if both of you had a, the same kind of impression from your viewing of it.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, uh, you know, I I watched the trailer more than once before I went to see it, and I did not think that took anything away from my enjoyment of it um, or the sort of mystery or the plot twist. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I thought the—I mean—the trailer wasn't a masterpiece. Uh, I've seen better trailers, but no. Uh, watched the trailer, thought it was interesting, uh, and yeah, I saw the film, and I thought it—I thought it was great. Actually, weird thing for me was that somebody had told me beforehand that it was—it uh, was a Coen Brothers film, and so I went into it with that mindset. And then, like, when it finished, I was walking out and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, definitely, uh, common Brothers brother style. And then only later on, I discovered fucking nothing to do with it. The common brothers <laughs> who told you that, yeah, what boob told you that, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know,
1: yeah. Well, uh, I'd prefer not to say his name, same, ah. um, but, but but yeah, it, you know what, it, it could almost pass as mine. yeah, totally. And, and I actually think similarly, I, I've had a, i had I thought it had a very Quentin Tarantino feel personally,
2: yeah, I thought more so, more so Tarantino, yeah.
1: So, I think Drew Goddard actually, who. Who wrote and directed it is i think that must be one of his strengths is being able to borrow and pay respects and homage to it. like all these different styles and genres of filmmaking that may have may be long past but yeah look it was um just a quick correction that charlie yeah. uh, you said he wrote and directed it um drew goddard yeah he actually wrote produced and directed it and i, oh, think, uh, I think that's
0: something that cannot be uh, cannot be forgotten
1: it's great when you can tell it was a passion project in an interview i listened to with drew after watching the film he said you know if you choose like because he's written a lot of movies he's he's been a, he's been a screenwriter for a few good years and done a done a fair few ones including the martian and he said hang about hang about uh, here here. can i jump in and just give you a little list of shit that he's written yeah sure
0: um so he started out uh he cut his teeth writing on uh, sabrina um alias and lost mm. um cloverfield world war z and the martian and they're of course um adaptations or uh yeah yeah
2: um but yeah that's i mean that's a that's a hell of a pedigree yeah now he's really starting to come into directing more movies
1: i think he i think he has to be picky because he says if you direct a movie it takes five years of your life so, so there are reasons why he's only ever directed Cabin in the Woods and Bad Times at the R.A.L. And I, you know, I feel like that comes through. You need passion to direct those kinds of movies.
2: Otherwise, you can tell it's like a lackluster, yeah,
1: movie, yeah, which we see
2: we see too many of those, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, this wasn't this wasn't one just by the numbers.
2: But I think it's always it's always great when there's a a movie is written and directed by the same person because it's like kind of. You know, they're fulfilling their own image of the movie.
1: Yeah, it's like a pure vision. It's not a compromise between people. I think some of the movies we've reviewed that we've liked the most uh, included that kind of um that kind of pedigree you know one of our favorite ones that i enjoyed talking about the most was um a quiet place where john krasinski also actually wrote and directed that as well and you can just tell like and he also started it of course but you can tell when it's a love letter it's a passion project and you want to be the one to to push that forward in your own vision and, and that is definitely the vibe i got with the el yeah, even uh infinity war the avengers from earlier in the year that was written directed by the
2: brothers, um but you could tell mm. that you know, I think it's a it's a more fulfilling and sincere and dedicated, you know, piece of work when it's by the same person.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean that that said, you know, there are examples where um, you know uh, a film has been enriched by having sort of that um, that creative uh, tryst of you know different key people sort of like working together and bouncing off each other, and there are examples where you know it's someone's pure vision who carried it all the way and it turned out like Homer's car, um, <laughs> yeah. but. But this this just happens to be one of those examples where someone's pure, um, unadulterated vision, unadulterated, unadulterated vision, uh, yeah, just really shines through.
1: (laughs) The Homer that was that was the name of the car. (laughs) It was even called the Homer. I love it. Sometimes, if you give one person too much control, it doesn't always work out. I know. So, fun fact about this movie, and I think this is really fitting for what the movie was meant to be. It was actually filmed entirely on film. So, it wasn't filmed digitally like a lot of movies were nowadays. And um, I, know, I don't know if you two are like me. I can't ever tell the difference because I just can't tell the difference between film and digital. People talk about it, but I've never been able to tell the difference. But, hey, it had a, f- it had a fantastic charm about it. I'm
0: very similar. Like, I've got a lot of friends who are in the film industry, but I I am not. And I don't know any, like, t- like they, I, I cannot look at a film and tell the difference. But... That said, I did get an inkling that it might have been on film, just because, um, yeah, for instance, with the set design, but also more with the lighting, the lighting was unbelievably good and I thought that yeah they maybe they did that because it was on film and they weren't just like ah, I would just patch that up in that uh, post
1: yeah I think there were some unbelievably rich colours coming from those neon lighting uh, around the dark and the rain and um, I think if I'd have thought about it beforehand maybe I would have made a guess but I, outside of that I wouldn't have known but yeah beautifully beautifully rich colours and it complemented the unbelievably good set design like from the second I saw this hotel the El Real in the opening shots of the film uh, I tell you what my heart was racing i immediately i had to know if it was a real place i i had to i had to give everything i could not to google right there and then you know can i visit the El royale um Now I'm left longing because the LRL is purely fictional, but, I mean, the hotel, it looks so real. It ticked so many fantastic niche boxes that I know you also love, Zach, you know, the vintage atomic age kind of hotel that's a bit Uh. under-occupied, near-abandoned, you know, it it heralds back to past days of glory. And, I mean, that was a great way to get me invested in the film right from the get-go.
2: Yeah, they put so much effort into all that. Like, it was matched by the acting talent in the film as well. They needed to put that effort into the hotel itself in terms of the physical design and appearance because almost the entire movie takes place there. I think instead of instead of maybe each character getting like one or two tiny flashback scenes, uh, like the whole movie was there, so they really needed to make it almost... As its own character, the setting from the opening from the opening uh, scene and the,
0: and the opening sort of shot um, that that established the thought in my mind, but then I kept coming back through it uh, at different scenes through the movie I kept thinking, man, this could have easily been adapted from a play or something like there was there, there, like the way that the set designs were, were sort of like set up and like the way it was shot sometimes not all the time but sometimes I thought man this is definitely yeah it looks like it could have been uh, like, an actual play in the theatre.
1: Yeah, yeah. Something it did remind me of was, um, in a similar vein, I always thought The Hateful Eight could have been a play, and it is also one that has a very rich kind of um, set... That also acts as its own character throughout the film. It gives away hints throughout the film as to what's happened before, and that's part of the overall mystery of what's going on, who has something to hide, you know, who's the real bad guy, who's the saboteur, all that kind of stuff. So it does, it did have that kind of lingering tension because of I think the way the set looked, so so uh, so realistic and um, so unique, and oh yeah, what a what a beautiful hotel. <laughs> I, I tell you, what, if they if they made that genuinely made one one that looked exactly like that, a replica of it, I would I would definitely put that on my list of things to go to because it was really cool. And stay the night so people can spy <sighs> on you. Oh yeah, you're right. That's right. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. One thing I did want to say was relating to what you said, Andy. The actors and the characters that they were written for were also very era appropriate. Um, you, you, you both know what I'm going to say here, and you both know it's know, going to be John Hamm. I know, I know, you'll hate it, but I honestly think that the movie was at its best for me when John Ham was the protagonist of it in the first act. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I know, I know. Let me, let me, let me just hear me out. Because I had no idea what the film was about, the scenes where he was slowly... Well, we were discovering who he was because he isn't a salesman. He's actually a secret agent. And the fact that when he was doing the, the tapping and we're figuring out who he is and we're hearing about the stabbings down in California. And I'm like, is it him? Is it what's going on? He's taking out the bugs. He finds another bug. And then he finds out all the, like all the tension of what's going on in this hotel comes out in that first act and seeing his character find it out, sneak past, go to the voyeur thing. And then that's when the the famous like long take happens. Yeah. That long take where he's going up and down. Yeah. The hidden the, um, passageway. The hallway. Look, yeah, looking at looking through the voyeur windows at, at, at all three windows, and we're finding out more about their characters, and that was just the tension was palpable. I loved the suspense. So it was good. that the long shot was so disciplined. Um, and that was the point at which the movie I think hinted at the greater unknown power surrounding the LRL. Like, what? Who are these organizations bugging the place? Why does he, a member of the FBI, not know about all this stuff? And yeah, that's where it got. Um, yes, but he didn't follow didn't follow his director's instructions and that's what got him killed yeah yeah that's yeah right. totally so yeah so huh, just just that that part of the movie was where it was the part just before the shit hit the fan but the part where we were just finding out you know it, it was all starting to unravel and i loved that bit it had me on the edge so of my seat you you mentioned charlie earlier that you didn't see the trailer at all no i didn't i i, I had nothing all I knew was that Chris was topless in the rain at one point. Uh, <laughs> Chris Hemsworth. That's all I knew from the publicity photos. So That's yeah. uh, all, all you need to know. But uh, going back on what...
2: Similar to what Zach said, I, I saw it as well, you know, several times. And there weren't really that many things that were spoiled for you from the trailer. I think, like, you had... They had nothing that hinted at um, John Hams, you know, character or anything like that. In fact, I think the, on- the only things I recalled... ...when I was actually watching the movie thinking... ...okay, I know this is going to happen because of the trailer... ...is uh, Jeff Bridges saying that he's not really a priest. And also also the fact that um, some of the rooms had two-way mirrors... ...because I think there is a scene in the trailer where it shows... John Hamm looking through Jeff Bridges' window,
1: and he's just going at it the floor.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true.
1: Then there, there is there were a couple flash like flash frames of the the hallway, the the, the voyeur hallway, and and stuff like that. So, yeah, maybe it was because it was also fresh in my mind and seeing those flash frames of these kind of giveaways, uh, got me a bit. You know, a bit, I was just like, oh god, thank god I didn't watch it. But yeah, yeah but definitely not a bad trailer because even even those scenes that did kind of uh,
2: spoil a couple of things that happened. Like, those things happened, you know, halfway through the movie, mm. so it's not like something that was revealed right at the end or anything like that.
0: I can't believe Charlie Rogers just complained that uh, watching the movie spoiled a trailer for him. No. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Well, you know, you know what I mean.
2: We're in, the, we're in the bizarro world now. Oh, I know. I, know.
0: I, I I was, I was gonna take you up on that. So I, I wanted to come back to Andy's point about the acting because I thought there wasn't um any bad acting in the whole thing. Um I and I for me, the best actor was uh, uh Lewis Pullman, um the uh, the clerk, the uh, hotel uh, receptionist mm. guy. I thought he was a standout. Yes, he was he was yeah. great. But um but but coming back to Charlie's point about John Hamm, um I yeah, I really enjoyed this him in these roles, plural, um, because I think um And for me, like, I really like John Hamm, but now that I think about it, most of my like for John Hamm is just because he's charismatic and attractive and, you know, in some good films, but I've never really seen him have to, uh, put that much effort into acting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and I thought he, uh, he, uh, yeah, did an excellent job on this one.
1: Yeah, I, I, agree. Like just in the way that, I mean, John Hamm as a 60s era, like agent, is not a stretch of the imagination. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. not a big deal to watch John Hamm do anything like that. Um, but seeing him um, put. Like, seeing as his most well known role is already from that decade yeah yeah exactly so, so so watching him as like a southern over-the-top uh traveling salesman i thought was was quite funny and and it helped drive that opening those opening scenes as well in with with the characterization of all characters and having an over-the-top character there really helped push all the others into a, a role where they had to you know tell us a bit more about themselves so i think he did a really good role captivating us about everyone uh at the start i'm not trying to put it all on him i'm just saying that like that character was a great way to do it and i'm pleased that he was able to do it convincingly yeah um, yeah but you're right everyone did a great job i think jeff bridges was also obviously very solid um i think he might have wheezed a bit and paused a bit between sentences of it like i think uh, some of the pacing of some of those scenes particularly the one in the car i think they they kind of started to slow down a bit and not match the rest i think um <laughs> but you know hey it was great like he's he, he was fantastic of course as well Guys, I have a question for you, because we have a lot of characters here. All of them are pretty much, I think I would say, like, so so, so some of the characters, some of the characters are more likable than others, but it's worth noting that other than Darlene, the soul singer, none of the other characters have really any moral integrity, (laughs) Uh, either, either throughout the course of the movie or from their past. Which character did you feel most sorry for, knowing that all of them died except for Darlene and and Flynn the priest
0: Mm, most sorry for I felt the bad for the most um, Emily Summer
2: Spring definitely yeah wait is that um, Dakota Johnson's character or the sister yeah yeah Yeah. Dakota Johnson's character yeah I I, I feel that's that's my answer as well
1: really okay yeah so like
2: she yeah you you had those little like those little insights
0: into her and her sister's early life with her like you know their sexually abusive dad, and then she would take the hits to protect her sister, and then the last thing she saw as she was dying was her sister's betrayal,
1: yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, just keeping in mind, I'm just going to put this out there right now. She did kill John Ham, so you know it kind of kind of weighs the scales, right yes,
2: and the high point of the the high point of the movie was John Ham getting exploded across the room, yeah, yeah. oh, man oh,
1: thanks, Andy yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah oh I think that was de- like it amped up right off yeah that, yeah for it? sure like, that was that was, the ca- that was the catalyst for shit to get real Mm. Totally, totally. Oh, and one of the other, like, oh, dude, one of the other really th- bits that shocked me, like I put my hands over my mouth in shock, was when uh, when the priest was spiking the drink and he turns around and gets glassed in the face. Yeah, uh, right, like right at this really strange moment where the pacing of the scene didn't kind of dictate that something like that was going to happen in a traditional yeah. sense. So I was sitting there and all of a sudden, whack! And oh. H- half the cinema I was in jumped. Yeah, whoa, it was awesome.
2: Yeah, oh, beautifully. Beautifully shot and led into, yeah. Beautifully, it was like the way that scene was framed. How it really focuses on Jeff Bridges up at the bar with close-ups, and then it just when it snaps back to show the rest of the foyer as he turns around, and then she's just there immediately. Yeah, yeah. like the way it was shot was really, really well done.
1: Yeah, yeah, fantastic. It was, it was so good. Um, who, who do you feel least sorry for out of all the dastardly characters that end up meeting a sad demise?
2: Oh well, this is the Chris Hemsworth character. who's probably. The most evil, the most evil character in the movie. Um, mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel, I feel like that's the obvious
2: answer, but because of the obvious answer, I feel like uh, it's not the one I want to go for. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so outside of Chris Hemsworth, I was happy that the young, the young sister, even though obviously she was like possibly even mentally ill Brainwash. and like stabbed her parents. Yeah, I was so glad when Jeff Bridges just killed her.
1: Oh, was that was that her stab the people? Yeah. No. um... Yes, yes, it was, so oh, I don't know if so maybe you didn't know it was it was very like it was hinted at in a strange way, so when I was watching the movie. I thought it was implied that she killed her dad, like they took her back to her place and she killed her dad. But what I think it actually meant was it was it was a reference to the Charles Manson murders. So he took her to this like the famous philanthropist surgeon's place and and got him to st- and got her, sorry, and got her to stab them. So uh, I think that's what happened. Does that yeah, does that sound that, right? That makes,
0: that makes that makes more sense to me because in the shots of her actual father, the house was like super run down and shit. And then the the ones of those people it was like a mansion in Malibu or
2: something
0: ah yeah
1: yeah he yeah he was like a he was a he was a surgeon or something and a philanthropist and quite popular in the community so so i think that's kind of meant to mirror the Sharon's is it sharon tate uh murders um yeah
0: yeah yeah, the, uh, yeah. yeah. With, the, with the sort of like the religious undertones and all that kind of stuff
2: well that makes her even makes her even mm. worse then so yeah. she didn't just kill yeah. her abusive father for paper yeah because- so
1: I did dislike it. Like, not as in I disliked her character, but I was very upset that she let her sister die. Um, of, and did, did like her sister died, not even seeing any ounce of regret um, in her in a, in, a, in her face, and that that hurt me. It hurt me to see. So also, maybe maybe there was quite probably
0: a little bit of touching up, sort of stuff done in post. Um, but and maybe it's because they use film. I thought all the um, the practical effects with regards, you know. Um, Uh, like the knives guns you know uh you know like oh like um when uh lewis pullman is in the corridor and the shotgun uh the buckshot comes through the mirror and smashes
1: again. like all
0: that stuff all the all the practical effects that they did i thought
1: were done very well it was good, yeah. I love that that the the props in his face, um, the glass and buckshot. It was, um, yeah, it was really really something.
0: Ah, oh, th- yeah. There was there was one scene, you know, like in you know, in the scene where everything's going to shit, um, and like, you know, there's the they've got the like the fires in the lobby and stuff like that. There's one scene where he. Uh, it was like a close up in his face and he's talking and he's like crying talking and his you know half his face is is like bloodied up um from the buckshot but uh, uh, i don't know how like i don't know if they did it in post or if they if they went to the effort of making sure it happened when they're actually shooting but you every now and then you can see
1: little glints of light coming off the pearls of buckshot embedded in his face yeah and glass i think yeah so so i i think it was practical because it was it was well this isn't a reason why i think it was practical it just looked it looked like it yeah. was real um and it was in and also in the scene where he was tied up and the sisters were interrogating yeah, him yeah. um that was that was where it was i think it, 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 in the forefront of the shot so much more and um yeah it looked it looked practical i don't think it would be reasonable to do to cgi that if he's going to be on screen with it in his face for you know for about 45 minutes of the movie yeah good point, good yeah. point. either so, way it looked. Yeah. so yeah look it, it looked, looked great, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I
2: like the the, the scene where uh, Darlene's talking to him when everything's going to shit and they're tied up, and he wants you know um to repent for what he's done. And Darlene says, "Oh well, how many people have you killed?" And he says, like, hundred and twenty-seven or something like that." Yeah, yeah.
1: That and th- and then it goes to the flashback. What a killer flashback! Yes, I wish I wish they didn't do. I wish
2: I mean obviously show that flashback because it was really good for the backstory, um, but I wish they didn't show it straight away because. When he first said that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, is he like this like serial killer who kills these people who stays at the hotel?" Or like, "What is that? Does it have something to do with the two-way mirrors?" Yeah. So yeah. I thought if they kind of just delayed the flashback scene a little bit, yeah, just to create more tension in an already really tense mm. moment.
0: I, I'm, with, I'm with you, Andy. That's where I went first until the flashback explained that he was like a sniper in Vietnam
1: or whatever. Yeah. Because yeah, I thought. I thought, oh my goodness, like, who is this monster now? But but, but I think it made him more relatable, uh, not in the way that I've been to Vietnam, but, like, it made him more... Like, if he were a serial killer, I, I don't think there would have been as much um emotion oh, no, I, I wouldn't no no i wouldn't i wouldn't want that to be the twist but i wish that they
2: had drawn it out a bit more didn't show the via- uh, yes, yeah. yes yes don't show the flashback straight away and explain why he's killed that many people just wait a few minutes and yeah
1: maybe even if they had waited until he just sniped everyone and then like it killed everyone in the el Royale, as he did with his rifle and then end up going yeah and, that could um, work and have worked. then end up going as he waits, he shoots the two guys in the car park, and then after that, they show the, the shot of him being in the um, Vietnam War. That might have made it a bit more yeah, it, interesting yeah. as a re- as a re- reveal of what kind of killer he is. But, yeah, I, I agree with you guys. I, I totally went to the serial killer thing because, obviously, the way he, he talks it up, you, you, it's a bit ambiguous. You don't know whether it is something like a war or whether he just ha- had urges to kill people although we're also meant to really be rooting for him as well because i think the whole point in the movie Mm.
2: you feel sorry for miles this whole way through it's like he's a drug addict he's really struggling with his demons he wants you know the priest's acceptance and then he gets his face like blown up and then he's tied up and he's threatened and then i think when we find out his whole backstory we're meant to really be rooting for him as he just (laughs) headshots everyone in
1: the hotel like that was a really Fuck you know, yeah Hell yeah. yeah You get those bastards It was cool And, and especially Especially because the emotional uh, Finale of the film Was, was that repenting scene yeah. Right at the end Where he's He's stabbed in the gut And he's, he's dying And he finally gets a chance To have his moment With, with a priest <laughs> Not a real priest But mm. you know, it's, it's part of the Part of the, the charm of it But yeah Just um, I think you're right Like he has A, a lot of the emotional centre Of that film Revolved around His character And his, and his character's goals just the simple wish to get a chance to talk to a priest before dying. <laughs> yeah, that
2: was really good for him, like, his whole character. A, a,
0: a, another scene at the same point in the movie, I thought that it was done, it was done very well. Uh, it was done very uh, delicately, um, but at the, at the same time, very sort of like stoically. Um, it was the sort of, the scene um, between uh, Jeff Bridges' character and Cynthia, uh, Cynthia Ervido's character, It's uh, Darlene and... Uh, what's his name yeah, and, the and the priest yeah. Well, no, where, yeah where they're Daniel like Ford. you know they're being interrogated at the roulette table uh, but they're sort of they're sticking to their story and they're looking at each other and like gaining more respect for each oh, other
1: oh yeah I thought that was done really well yeah yeah I, I like that I liked that they actually um, I like that they had a, good co- I had a good they had a good cooperation and a great relationship yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, do you remember do you remember in Ant-Man and the Wasp and I was complaining that these guys these two people were competing with each other when they could have aligned their goals and probably got both goals done fairly like a lot easier easier yes all yeah. all too well yeah i love in this movie the priest comes in and he's just been. he's just he tried to drug her he got glassed he comes into the car she's like if you tr- if you try anything i'll kill you and he's just like that's cool just let me explain and then they explain and just decide like they agree that their allegiances are aligned you know their the goals are aligned and they have something to do i like that
0: Yeah. in fact in fact um their their relationship from the moment it started to where it ended i thought that might be the my favorite part of the whole movie. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah well they were the only two that made it out
0: yeah and I love that scene where you know they think, they think there's a fair chance um, someone's going to be looking from the mirror and so she's singing pretending to sing to herself while he's trying to get the floorboards up out of sight and like you know she's clapping as he's hammering down I thought that whole scene was awesome
1: yeah very very good yeah. great tension mm, yeah exactly yeah, shows a lot of bravery on her part too. Yeah, because she was singing, she just, she she could have just gotten shot in the face. Yeah, oh, exactly. And she, exactly. Like, she chose to stick through with it and sing. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool.
2: Yeah, I think she she was probably the the main she was probably the main protagonist in the movie. I'd say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah. I think she was definitely the one that was. She 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 had the least moral baggage. Like, she hadn't done anything wrong. She just... She chose to escape a shit job, uh, a shit life, and, you know, live on the road where she could to make money. Like, a, that's, you yeah, know, about as protagonist as you get it amongst these, like, it, bad
2: characters. And I remember <laughs> saying to you earlier, Charlie, that it would have been very, you know, following the cinematic formula for Daniel Flynn to die, because it's like the the old... Uh, criminal so you know he deserves his comeuppance in a way but he's redeemed himself at the end with some kind of heroic sacrifice so it really would have been you know uh typical of a movie movie formula for him to be the one who dies at the end from a sacrifice instead of you know young miles yeah definitely so i think that was another another thing that added to the movie was that it wasn't predictable you know it, it blows away john Hamm, one of the leading stars halfway through the movie it yep you know, touches on all these other things later on in the film. It's just, it was a really hard to predict movie, which was great.
0: And, and and on that note, um, how you know their relationship and the fact that he was you know one of the two survivors in the end. Um, I, I like the fact that in this film there wasn't any um romance or sexual tension or anything like that. You know, it didn't. He didn't need a love interest or anything like that, you know. Yeah, that was
2: good that it didn't need to do that. Yeah, and I, I also I that was good. I felt really sorry for him, where like for Daniel Flynn, where Chris Hemsworth is saying to him, "So what's your real name?" And he struggles with it for a few seconds, and he's like, "Oh, I, I can't remember." Oh, oh, that,
0: oh, that was that was so well acted. Oh, fucking Jeff Bridges,
2: knocking it out of the ballpark. Yeah, you could almost yeah. you, you could almost believe that Jeff Bridges was going through it himself because yeah he did that really well
1: and especially knowing that at that point like we didn't know whether that would be the thing that would that would cause um cause chris hemsworth to kill him like he's just like is that going to be the thing that it, that is the end of him like he can't remember his own name to prove his yeah, point yeah yeah that, There was so much there was so much power in that in that in that moment
0: i, I, I don't know i don't know if this if this question is gonna gonna ruin charlie's sort of like uh structure for the way that this um, podcast was meant to go but i feel like it's the right time to ask it considering what we're talking about mm. yep the last scene oh okay yeah alright I'm gonna pose I'm gonna pose a question to you yeah he comes in sits down they look at each other they nod to each other you ready
1: Mm Hmm. did he know who she was Oh. Uh, that would be that uh, surely. Like yes. that would I, be such a. Well, what,
2: what makes you think what makes you think that he wouldn't? Well, because like, I know obviously. I know obviously because of his, you know, deteriorating condition, but
0: Yeah, like in his mind, I mean, it's, it's either um, he was sort of not lying about the whole thing but playing it up a fair bit or uh, that last scene, in his mind, he's uh, his, uh, just a, a wealthy dude walking around a Reno casino, um, and he goes in to, uh, to watch the Knights act.
1: Oh, wow. Dude, that's a super, like, that's a really dark fan and, theory. And, she,
0: and, she, smiled, and she, she smiles and nods to him, and he just and he's just like, oh, this thing is really nice.
1: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I refuse to believe that. That is a great. That is a great thought, but I can't. You know, from- gonna have to. Gonna have to watch it for a second time and yeah, see if they yeah. yeah. hinted. Oh, that. I that yeah,
0: that's what. I, that's what I was struggling
1: with as I was walking out of the cinema. I was like, did he? Did he know? That would break my heart. I couldn't accept. But I, I wouldn't think so. I don't think they meant for it to imply that. I. I. I oh, maybe they did. I don't know. I just. it just. They never entered my mind. Yeah. in that yeah, scene. Yeah, I, th- I don't think that that is what
2: they were going for. Yeah, wow. But I mean let's get let's get Drew Goddard onto the podcast yeah, next yeah, oh, yeah.
0: totally. time. Next week. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Alright, well wow. so okay. So okay, we're going into weird questions now. Let's let let's do it, Zach. Um who was on the film? Who was on the blackmail reel of my, film? My my
2: guess is JFK.
1: That's what I thought as yeah. well. I think... I, I, so, I, I did read about this, and apparently this was a, f- a couple of months after. Technically speaking, according to Nixon's speech on the TV at the start, they dated that. In fact, no, well, that's yeah, the thing. J, course, JFK of, was... Of course.
0: But remember they said the person's death Yes.
1: But yeah. JFK was in 63, and I'm pretty sure... But a lot of people did die around that time. Robert Kennedy died a few months before the pl- the taking place of well, the, the great, movie. So, it could have the been Robert Kennedy. great thing is, they don't say which is and they, they hint at yeah, so exactly. uh,
0: yeah, it I like the fact they don't say but one of the things they
1: did yeah. say it could have been Martin Luther King
0: it could have been Martin Luther like King there are,
1: there are a few people that died around that time yeah I'm pretty sure the movie was set was it
2: in 1969 or late 60s at yeah, least yeah it was 59 it was 59 and 69 and JFK, JFK was 1963, so... Yeah. I mean, it's definitely still recent enough for him to be yeah. relevant and all that. Yeah.
1: Um, I feel like Martin Luther King's is probably the one... Of the three of those, I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't born in that era, obviously, so so I, I I don't know what... I feel like Martin Luther King's would be that one that would probably... I don't know, like... I think,
0: no, I think you're probably right by that,
1: because one of the things they said was, you know, the memory, sometimes the memory of the man
0: is more important. So the idea... I guess yeah, that, yeah. that, that plants the idea that... Whoever this was was some sort of morally upstanding person that everyone respected. Um, And while JFK could have been that, people, I think, I think people at the time also knew that JFK played
1: away a bit. Well, apparently, they got they had dirt on Martin Luther anyway, that had entered the public sphere by then anyway. So I I think it, I think in general, it's meant to be ambiguous and but most of all fictional. I don't think it was meant to hint at a real one, but it is great to think about it, isn't it? It's really cool. One other question I had was and I don't think it was answered. I'd love to hear if if it actually was. But who was the organization that was also bugging the El Royale and ordering the filming alongside? So, so alongside the FBI's bug. Oh, bugging?
2: like the the shady
1: owners of the hotel that Miles talked about? Yeah, yeah, the ones that they described as the managers of the hotel or, or whatever. Yeah. The, um, so I, I remember I remember Miles saying Soviets. it's usually it's usually <laughs> around election no. time. So it's like it's usually around election time they get. I think I think it's
0: I think it's an easy answer. Nixon? <laughs> uh no, well it wasn't the FBI because that it was you know played by um uh, John Hamm's character who was freaking out when he was uncovering it all. I think it's got to be Oh but Nixon wasn't the FBI though. He he did things he did things himself. No, That's I know I know, but I mean I think it's got to be the CIA. It's the start of the biting rivalry.
1: Oh really?
2: Okay. Uh, yeah. I like that. But again, it's another good thing just like with the person who was on the tape that they didn't give you the answer they let you come up with it yourself yeah totally totally. i think again we'll we're talking about coen brothers movies and tarantino movies themes from that reminds me of pulp fiction how with the marcellus wallace's briefcase and we don't know what's in it yeah 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 i like i like the fact that it wasn't explained for the whole movie so i think the whole just keeping keeping it unknown which is hey a lot
0: of unanswered questions here
2: comes a sequel (laughs) i didn't think about the questions that much because i like it when the movie has a bit of like, a, I think a, a story or a movie doesn't always have to give you all the answers. As long as it's... it's If it's something that you can kind of run along in your own mind. Unless it's a really gaping question that
1: makes the plot suffer. But these little things here and there. Well, I do have a question to round off our list of... Uh, our, our analyses of the movie. This is about the movie. It is not in the movie. It is that Oscar season is around the corner. Yes. Do we feel like oscars could be incoming for bad times at the el real okay well yeah i've been thinking about this as well i was going to bring it up if if you didn't um
2: i don't know if it would get a best picture nod Mm. but best original screenplay i think it's got to be in a shout for that for nominations at
1: least definitely 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 nomination oh i think it'd have to be if not a favorite oh it depends what else is coming along um but yeah like it is yeah, I think it would absolutely get nominated for that. In fact, I would put money on it if you could. I don't think you can. Even you um, might even get it. You might even get a nod for best directing. He might even get a nomination for that because it was it was fairly tight. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah I can I believe that. Yeah,
1: I would, I would like it. I would like it to get
2: and for best picture as well. I mean, if it was up to me, I'd put it up for one of the films nominated for that. But I don't feel confident yeah. that it would be.
1: And so, so, so there is one for costume and makeup, but there isn't one for set design, is there? Because that is a real shame. Because if there was. My goodness. Is, it, is, yeah. is
2: there
0: one for lighting?
1: I don't think so.
0: That's very neat.
2: So. they got cinema.
1: That's cinematography. cinematography but, yeah, that'd be um,
2: cinematography. You know what? Uh, definitely going to get a cinematography
1: nod. Oh, you reckon? Yeah, totally. Are there five nominations for that? I don't think is there a limit. I, I'm pretty sure there were. A, uh, maybe it depends on the award, but I'm pretty sure there have been years where there have been like eight or so best oh, really? picture nominees. Oh no! Oh,
2: yeah, best picture. They they increased it to eight, but I'm pretty sure every th- other field normally has around five. Every other category.
0: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a beer on it, guys. I will bet each of you uh, one Duchess of Borgonia beer each um, that it will it will win it will win at least. One Oscar, and
1: my prediction is it's probably going to be like a technical one, like cinematography or something. Oh, you don't think it's got? Best adapted. Yeah. There's best sound mixing, sound editing, best makeup and styling. Stuff like that, stuff like that, yeah. Costume design. like So cinematography, it's, it, they'd definitely be decent contenders uh, to at least be nominated for those, I think.
0: I'm putting my, putting my money where my mouth is.
2: I, don't, I personally don't think any, even though the acting was stellar, I don't think any of them are going to be in for a best lead or best supporting no it was uh,
0: the the acting was the the acting uh burden was split up
2: to too many people because yeah it was shared around exactly there was no standout really but well i'm gonna ask you if we had to pick a standout
1: performance which character had it do you think i would give it to jeff bridges um i i don't i just think that i think his character probably had the hardest role out of all of them because he was an amoral character and he had bad he had a bad rap in terms of being likable like he's a he's a bruiser and a criminal and uh and a killer but he also had to bring across that emotional sensitivity that made you really like him and he ha- he was a man of great character even though he was a criminal and I think where it was a bit more black and white with the other characters whether they were likable or not based on who they were and the and the morals they had I think he had the harder job and I think some of the scenes where he talked um talked with the soul singer um especially the one in the car i think was quite good so i would i would i would give it to jeff bridges personally
2: like i feel like it, it'd be a tie yeah between the two main people who survived um like darlene and daniel flynn both of them probably had about equal amount of screen time and really really were the main people in it for me but also i don't know we, we talked about this earlier so um miles like the the worker there like particularly as the movie went on he really started to shine and i think um for the second half of the movie, was the standout.
0: I, I, I've got to agree. I've got to agree with both of you. Um, so I think I think it's a photo finish. Everyone did a did a cracking job. I think um, the Miles Miller, um, Lewis Pullman, the actor um, played Miles Miller. I think he was probably the best. Um, what's the term for like when there's a young gun who comes through? Oh, uh, um, breakout performance, something like that. Wunderkind? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought he was that. But that said, um, I'd probably have to, in the end, give it to give it to jeff bridges by like a hair yeah
1: awesome one thing i actually did think was it was it was everyone was so solid i think chris hemsworth he did he did get through pretty well but i think he had a very difficult role of coming into it and then commanding the entire last act
2: well i was gonna has he ever played an
1: antagonist yeah, That's a good question i don't know
2: I can't no, i'm not sure think- i'm not sure I can think like, um...
1: Does it count as an antagonist in Vacation, where he's, like, trying to get with the uh, the wife of the guy?
2: Yeah, well, that's what <laughs> I mean. So, yeah, Vacation and Rush, where he kind of plays the, um, maybe the rival, but not necessarily the flat-out,
1: yeah. He was a red herring in A Perfect Getaway. I remember that. He was, like, the bad guy. Like, he was a douchebag, and people thought that he was the killer, and two-thirds through the way of the movie, he gets arrested, and then it turns out that he wasn't. So, he was, he was quite intimidating in that, actually.
2: Notice that um, throughout throughout this whole podcast, though, we've only been gushing about this movie. We haven't really criticised it at all. I think that shows you, yeah. I love. I, I, I fucking love being
0: a cynical bastard.
1: <laughs> do you guys have any specific critiques? Abject silence. Oh, pretty in the clear, huh?
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. It, it was such a good movie, and I think I yeah posted about it on Facebook, which I don't do for every movie I see. But I, I said that this is you know, one of the best movies that I've seen all year and that people should
1: go watch it. I think it's definitely worth watching. And I had a couple of personal critiques, but before I say them, before I tell... Like, before I talk about my critiques, I have to preface it with the fact that it's just one of those things where the closer you get to a fantastic movie... The more sometimes the more obvious the tiny flaws seem. So these are just personal preferences, and it's just uh, what I noticed in the time that I thought might have been a little, that like, could have been a little differently. But I, I thought that in some ways, especially the last act, where Billy, the cult leader, has everyone tied up, and it's kind of a game of minds to try to get out. I feel like it just did feel a little bit like a kind of poor man's Tarantino movie in some parts. Like, it had all the... It had a a lot of the ingredients that kind of felt like those long... arduous Tarantino scenes where everyone has a little upper hand somewhere, but everyone has something to hide and they want to get out of it. But in this, it was a little too imbalanced towards Billy. Like he had all the power, he had all the talking and it was all about him and no one else really had an escape plan. And, and in fact, the entire scene only got resolved because Flynn lost his temper and just charged at Billy and started beating him up and all things just started to work out. Okay. Because of that, but there wasn't really like, I was watching this and I was just like, well, like this is just obviously going to end in some weird way because like, we don't know of any way that they're going to get out of it um that was that was just a personal that was a personal thing like one thing i like about tarantino for all the things that could be unlikable about him is that he has a great way of balancing scenes out between who might get out who's gonna you know draw the cards first who's gonna throw all their cards in you know at an inopportune time and how is it going to end uh particularly the scene in the basement in Inglorious Bastards is one of my favourites, but it wasn't quite. It wasn't quite as perfect in that way. Having said that, I don't think it's fair to say, "Well, this film wasn't good because it wasn't good like a Tarantino film." When like it's just not trying to be one. You know, this is just a personal thing. Um, yeah, and I also thought the flashbacks were a little bit overt. I think like what i was addicted to from the first act was like the the mystique and the mystery and how subtly and smoothly and and tantalizingly all these new tidbits of information were coming out about the characters about the hotel and that kind i think the flashbacks kind of like fast-forwarded that and kind of like threw them out the window and it kind of became a different movie after john ham died but still a great movie just some personal things that i found a little bit uh, a little bit i, I wouldn 't say jarring, but just just personal thoughts on how it went compared to how I thought it would go based on the first twenty minutes of the film
2: yeah, yeah. absolutely it could be could be Goddard's own personal style like i uh, i'm really looking forward to seeing what he does next and yeah i don't expect it to come anytime soon because it seems like he really wants to plan it out and work on it and make sure it 's not rushed, so even if it's another you know five years, seven years, eight years, whatever for his next project to come along I'm really going to be looking forward to it yeah
1: he's the rock star of directors as in rock star gaming yeah well and actually um, one thing that I think is worth saying that uh, Zach and I think you would appreciate this is when you find a director that really likes hitting niches and a kind of in Drew Goddard's case, love letter style of director. Like he loves doing a love letter to the horror films, Cabin in the Woods, all those tropes. But he also loves doing a love letter to this like crime, pulp, neo-noir kind of film. When you find directors like that, it's always worth keeping tabs on what they're doing. Um, In the same way, personally, to Brad Bird, who did The Incredibles, he did uh, The Iron Giant and he did um, Tomorrowland. So obviously, Brad Bird's thing is like retro future kind of pulp kooky kind of vintage films so i always like try to keep an eye on brad bird's films but this is going to be another one for me drew goddard is going to be someone i i really really am excited to see more of in the future
0: yeah i can't i can't wait to see um what genre uh,
1: drew goddard's going to
0: smash out of the ballpark
1: next yeah exactly because there's a there's a fair difference between cabin in the woods and and bad times at the oral but yeah. you can tell that both of them are crafted with love and i think that is something that's quite distinct
2: so what if you what if you hear that Drew Goddard is now in charge of writing and directing Gladiator 2? <laughs> Ooh, oh. good question. You know what? You know what? And, if, and, and he's got Russell Crowe on board. Oh, my God. No, uh, no. Nah,
0: nah, uh, you know, if I, he- if I heard Drew Goddard's on board for Gladiator 2 and Chris Hemsworth signed up, then, then I'm there, baby. I'm there oh, in the wow. cinema with my money Hemsworth. in my hand.
1: I like that. Okay good stuff I'd probably be more wary because he obviously has a great affinity to original works and to really working off characters that he's able to craft so I mean but hey look and, and is, I'm, and sure, is, I'm sure he's not up for a challenge he's a famous writer in his own right
0: also also here's, here's a question for you follow up question if Drew Goddard was to direct
1: uh, Gladiator 2 what genre would he go for <laughs> Musical <laughs> Because so both, both of his films so far have been over the top So I'm thinking like a really pulp version of the sand epic Like you know Like a really crazy Is it sand epic or sandal epic Like I don't know Whatever they call like those kind of like Roman meat movies The sandal epic that's, what that's, that's, a, that's a category I swear I don't know Anyway yeah so that I think he'll do it super over the top That's my that's my bet On on the non-existent movie that will never get made Yeah 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 Movie, movie theory We almost closed up the entire show without actually doing ratings. Thanks for reminding us, Andy. Everyone. Good call, Andy. Good call. Good save. On a scale of bad to good, bad being non-credible, moderate being moderately credible, and great being incredible, how would you rate bad times at the El Royale? Zach? Fucking hate this scale. It's bullshit. (laughs) Didn't,
2: didn't Sally say that you guys no, were going to change no, it? No, just fuck no. Come on, Zach's, Zach's giving
1: non credible for the credible rating.
0: I was getting ready to say four out of five, but now I've got to subscribe to some like three three star bullshit. Three I, three. My, my
1: plan is to hold strong, and eventually you will be the one that gets over complaining about it rather than me. Uh, okay, changing. okay, <laughs> wait, what are the, wait, give me give me my options again. Uh, bad, moderately credible, or incredible. And uh, you can give
0: it a bit of flavour. Uh, I thought, okay, I thought it was a it was a kraken film. It was very well written, very well made, very well acted. I'm going to give it a uh,
2: uh, somewhere between moderately credible and incredible. Very nice, Andy. For me, it's an it's an easy incredible, um, and I'll give it. Like, personally, whenever I talk about movies, I give them a score out of 10. I'd give it an 8 or
1: 9 out of 10. Yep. I thought it was profoundly solid. Uh, the, the first act was so good. Had me at the edge of my seat. It's got to be an incredible... Um, yeah, definitely one of the top movies of the year for for, for me so far, personally. I, I'm sure you can all agree to that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Thank you so much for those ratings. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed the chat about bad times at the ROL. And with that, it's time to finish up. Thank you all for listening to the After Credibles, your least credible movie podcast. Thank you both for coming on, Andy and Zach.
2: No worries. See
1: you later. Have a beautiful time. Time to smack some beers. Is that the... I know. (laughs) Time to smack those beers. If you like the show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or send us some feedback. We are on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and everywhere else you get your favourite podcasts. Whatever feedback you give, we will read, and it helps other people find the show, so please take some time, if you have it, to send anything our way. I'm Charlie Rogers, and we'll be here next week. Thanks for listening to the After Credibles.